Thursday morning, I was in my, at my huddle group and, and I showed up a few minutes late and a couple of the guys were there and it was just a little bit after 7 a.m. And Steve Autry gets a call on his phone and he says, well, I got to leave after he'd just gotten there to uh, meet the HVAC guy who's coming in a few minutes. And he said they, they gave me a window for when the guy would be there. Anytime on Thursday. Okay, it could be in the morning, it could be at noon, it could be in the afternoon. Don't you love that? And how many times we've found that with uh, vendors? Just, just be ready all day. Take your day and be ready for me. And as much as I might resent that with an air conditioning guy or Spectrum or some other repair technician, that is essentially our scripture this morning. It reminds us that that spirit of expectation and I'm coming any time applies to Jesus coming too. So let's get right into it. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. And in this section, he's going to use a couple of very powerful metaphors. The first one is uh, all over the Bible, but it's completely lost on us. That is, be dressed for service, is the way NIV translated. Gird up your loins, is the way some of the older translations, more literal ones, would say it. And that was necessary so that those in the ancient world didn't trip over their robe. In other words, be ready to work, be ready to fight, be ready, girding up your loins. Go ahead and put up the picture, guys. You can see this process of there's your robe on this one over here, and you start to pull up your your robe and first hoist the tunic up so that all the fabric is above your knees. This will give you some mobility. Then gather all the material in front of you so that the back of the tunic is snug against your backside. And then once the excess fabric is gathered in front, pull it underneath between your legs to your rear. This feels much like a diaper. (laughs) Gather half of the material in each hand, bringing it back around the front, and finally tie your two handfuls of material together and you're all set for battle. And some hard labor. Go forth, be ye men, and gird up your loins. That's what the NIV, that's what the NIV doesn't tell you, okay, in our translation. But what this story is trying to convey to us, isn't that wonderful? The point is, you better be ready, or you best be ready. That's the way I'm going to say it this morning. You best be ready. I, I, I think of it this way. There was a, there's a quote, stay ready so that you don't have to get ready. Okay, and, uh, and uh, Will Smith has said it more recently, uh, uh, Conor McGregor has said it, but the saying actually goes back to the 1997 single, If You Stay Ready by Dewan uh, uh, Walker, okay? And uh, now there's a, I don't know, I asked Becky, I said, Jeff, you ever know this guy? I don't know this guy, but Donald Cerrone? MMA fighter, any MMA fighting? This is not the MMA fighting crowd. Oh, okay. Uh, He's also an actor. He said it this way. You don't have to get ready if you stay ready. All right? I'm always in the gym. Always training. All the time. 
I think that's what this passage is trying to convey to us. There's another metaphor that he uses, or another description. It's keep your lamps burning. And again, we might uh, lack appreciation here. Let's read it again from the text. 36 and 37, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. And go ahead, one more verse. It will be good for those servants who master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them ready, recline at the table and will come and wait on them. I'll get into that part in a minute. But what I want us to see, it, the, the, what we're, we're just being described is a man going to a wedding party and the plan all the while is to come home, but to come home late. And when he arrives, there are no street lights in the ancient world. There are no headlights because there are no cars, and there are no porch lights. There are no lights. If you've had your power go out in the recent weeks, we have a couple of times. You feel like you might understand this just a little bit, or camping, or maybe down at Neotez and trying to go from one cabin to another at night without your flashlight. Suddenly that flashlight is a really, really big deal. In other words, you best be ready. And so then he goes on in the text in verse 38, he said, it will be good for those servants whose masters find them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or he comes toward daybreak. In other words, expect the master to return, but he could come in any time, early, middle of the night, maybe almost until daylight, by which time you could be very tired. I would be. You best be ready. Then Jesus shifts from the expectation of the master returning, and he tries another description. And he says, consider a thief. Now we're going to see a little bit of a, in some ways, you wouldn't think of Jesus as a thief, but that's kind of what's going on here. He has some attributes somewhat similar to a thief, third verse 39, understand this, if the owner of the house had not, had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not let his house be broken into. In other words, there's a time he's going to come. Well, when does the thief come? I have no idea. So he moves from the expectation of the master of the house returning to now this thief that's going to return in a very unexpected way. The thief is going to surprise. It'd be not be very good if a thief didn't surprise, would it? So Jesus says as much again in verse 40, and he repeats himself, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. I want us to widen out for just a minute and look at a little bit more of the biblical lens related to the second coming and just reference a couple of these passages of the Lord's return. It's all over Scripture. And I think it's very important for us to not lose this if we're going to say we want to be biblical Christians that we have what the Bible might, in a bigger word, call eschatology, an understanding 
of last things, or at the very least, the fact that there's more to the story than today. There is his coming. And when we uh, might look at the end of the Bible and start there for just a second, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20, the very, very end, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen, the text says. Come, Lord Jesus. And this is the conviction of believers through the ages. And I know if you're like me, you might say, well, it's been a long time and he hasn't come and it's hard to even know if we, how to relate these texts and, and we, we, we begin to maybe think that's not very important or we begin to doubt or, or just question it. And uh, yet we have passages like Second Peter. Now, albeit it was written at the end of the first century, so we've had 19 more centuries that have passed. But in Second Peter, I think he kind of gets at, to some degree, maybe some of that, own, our own hesitancy and reservation in our hearts. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they'll say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And yet, I don't know about your experience, but it seems to me since the pandemic and maybe even a little while before or a little while after, you could kind of put your time frame for all of that. There's just been what there has been this sense, this feeling, the feeling of the times. Wars and rumors of wars and floods and catastrophes and climate change and hurricanes and the Hawaiian Islands right now, like the world has been winding, winding up in some unsustainable fashion, certainly the time must be near. Doesn't it feel like the time is short? I don't know. I sense that. <clears throat> and yet I'm warned by Scripture itself in a passage like Mark chapter 12 in verse 32 that says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So, in the midst of all this, we don't know, but soon our Bible will tell us, and yet soon doesn't necessarily mean immediate, but it certainly means be ready. So Peter hears all this, and he says, well, Lord, are you telling this parable to us? Or everyone? It's kind of a curious questioning of what is your message, Lord, and to whom are you aiming this? And sort of in classic Jesus fashion, Jesus answers by asking a question and then telling another story. <laughs> so we've got to go on if we're going to hold the whole text together. We've got to go on and see what this next story is. And it's a bit harsher, I might add. In this story, there's a master and a servants, and some of the servants, they're on their game. They're listening, and, but, but others are not paying attention. 
They're, uh, they're eating when they should be working, and they're getting drunk while on duty, and they are prone to violence, and they aren't paying attention to the master and his plan. Go back and read it. It's all right in the text there that Joyce just read to us. And he says there are consequences. In the story, one of the, one of the servants says, is cut to pieces. Now, some commentators reference this to, to what that he's actually referencing is the story of Israel, as opposed to a literal one person. But he is assigned, this person that's cut to pieces is assigned a place, it says, with the unbelievers. Now, remember, this is a story. So it's not literal, but that sounds like a lot like hell to me. Jesus reminds his listeners, Peter and anyone else within earshot, if you've had a lot of opportunity, you need not only to know, if you've had opportunity to know God's will, then you better be doing it. And if you don't, expect the consequences to be severe. And that's all bedded in the story. In fact, more severe than someone who doesn't know better. Remember, they receive just a few blows. I think at that point, Peter is saying, oh, I'm sorry I asked. Here's my point. I want us to focus in on one sentence for just a moment. Can you say this? Today, I am a ready, or am I a ready, trustworthy, and wise servant? Those are the three ideas that Jesus touches upon that are embedded in this text. Each story explains that we're servants, or better yet, slaves, and that's an honor to be a slave to Jesus Christ. It's an honor and a privilege. It is, in fact, our life calling. It's not demeaning when it's in service to Christ. Being the very best servant in fact, is what Jesus was. And so we also gladly. And the qualities of this servant is he's prepared. There's a certain Boy Scout readiness. Attention to the master brings this attention to detail. It's not slouchy, not haphazard. The qualities embedded here are a readiness. NIV uses the word faithfulness. I think a good word also translated in some other translations, trustworthy. That's a quality of the fruit of the Spirit, a quality of a servant of Christ. And then the third thing is that person is wise. I think of the passages that describe deacons and elders. They're people that have these qualities of faithfulness. One who 
can manage things in the absence of the master. He understands what needs to be done and he does it. So am I a ready, trustworthy, and wise servant? Is the question for the day. Ready, watching, and waiting. And at least three more times in that section that Joyce read, that word, ready, is mentioned. You best be ready is the great admonition. So I was thinking about what is the, in contrast to a spirit of readiness, what is that in your life? Maybe it's just, we're not really into theological things all that much these days. Maybe it's just we don't even really pay much attention to what the Bible might say about the Lord's coming. Maybe that's in opposition to readiness. Maybe, maybe the result of as the opposite is, I'm missing out. And so I, I'm very, very focused on the now as opposed to what will be, as Scripture keeps reminding us. And, if, and in fact, when we don't have confidence in the future, the present moment will take on importance that it cannot bear. Does that make sense? It's our understanding and clarity about the future that allows us to live with a proper weight on the present. When we cut ourselves off from His coming again, we put so much weight on the now. We say, I've got to get it in. I've just got to get it all in because it's getting late. As if there's no world to come. Then I think there's a temptation to live with, uh, with maybe indifference or uh, a fatalism or just a, a tolerance of everything as the spirit of evil is so intense. And over and over in this passage, we're trying to see that that spirit of evil is in opposition to the great Spirit of God. And sometimes we sort of just let go because we get tired of battling. And while that language of the second coming, it might seem a bit archaic, even for us, this passage is about being aware and being mindful. Therefore, the preaching phrase of this text, I believe, you best be ready. Live as if it's your last day. And while I think when we do that, 
It wakes us up. There is a shot of adrenaline into our existence. In fact, I put it this way, to just to change the, the, the flavor just a little bit. What if you lived every moment as though Jesus died yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is returning tomorrow? Then we might understand a little bit what he's saying when he says, gird up your loins. Let me be just a little bit vulnerable here. As, as I grow older, time is going faster. And, I mean, the days are moving. They are just slipping away. And at times, I have to do an attitude adjustment. And while Jim called us to remember, sometimes I get so nostalgic looking back and then sometimes with that even regretting and what I'm seeing in this text is a need to point the other and lean into the future. An energetic now. So I don't want to be caught always looking back nor do I want to be so futuristic that I'm worried about the Lord's coming, but what I want is that energetic now. Said another way, I want the future, let's put it this way, I believe this, biblically. I want the fantastic future to supercharge my present reality. Could that happen, Peggy? Could the fantastic future supercharge my present reality on a consistent basis? I believe it can if I lean into the thought that Jesus is going to welcome me into his arms. So what's that readiness look like today, church? I think it means watching. I think it means praying. I think it means working. I, mean, I, think, I think the watch is being aware of the story you're a part of. It's not your story. It's God's story. You've got an important role in God's story. Are you thinking about it that way? Are you receiving His grace? It's about prayer. I believe prayer. It's about surrender your control of your will to His will. Not our, in our own goodness. We're not going to approach Him in our own goodness. We're not going to approach Him in our own righteousness. You're not going to approach Him in your own clothes, in your own soiled self. You're going to approach Him in the light of what He has done for us in Christ. He's going to embrace us welcome. He's going to welcome, be a welcome embrace. And then we're going to work. We're going to continue to work to love others. Is there anything better you could be doing than being a servant of His will when He returns? Seems to me you can view the return of the Master as threatening or as energizing, focusing, and hopeful. That's what I see. Now I want to give you one last thought. While the passage has a harshness, 
for those who are not ready, for those not paying attention. There is something amazing here, maybe one of the more amazing statements in Scripture. Did you see it there in verse 37? This is for those who stay ready. It says, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he, this is the master, will dress himself to serve. He's going to roll up his sleeves. That's what that means in our vernacular. And will have them recline at the table. The them is those of us who are ready to meet him. And he will come and wait on them. The master returns as a servant to those who are ready and faithful. Praise be to God. We best be ready.